0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. From
1: NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Rothman. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. All right, first things first, I know in this week's follow-up, I told you today's episode was going to be a breakdown of Javier Garcia's trial testimony, and that was the plan up until midday on Thursday. The way the process works for me, just to give you an idea of how the sausage is made here, is as I'm going through the trial testimony, I'm constantly going back to reports and other interviews to cross-reference things that were said. And in this case, as Javier's testifying and I'm going through his testimony, I kept finding myself going back to interviews done with neighbors from the crime scene, interviews that we haven't talked about or heard about yet. And decided to go ahead and wait at least a week on Javier's testimony and use this episode to kind of lay a foundation for his testimony. So we're taking a step back. Sorry, the Javier's testimony is coming, but I feel like this is something that needs to be done first. So in this episode, we're going to hear from three of the neighbors. These are three of the neighbors that you haven't heard from up to this point. And there's a few things that are very important about their interviews. One is who wasn't interviewed back in 2006, right after the murders, who should have been, what they have to say, what they heard, and what they knew, and if any of them saw any vehicles leaving the area that night. So without any further ado, after a short break, this is Season 12, Episode 44 The neighbors. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates.
2: And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special.
1: From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. This first interview is the longest one, and it's pretty clear and easy to hear. I will say there's one of the detectives is like writing on a piece of paper very close to the microphone. Through some of it, so you hear kind of that scribbling sound, which is a little annoying. I wasn't able to pull that out, but you can hear everybody pretty clear. This is the longest one, uh, and 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 the interview is actually twice this long. I'm going to put the reports about this interview. There's no transcript into the case file, so you can see everything that was said. But everything, a lot of things just get repeated. They're interviewing Jim Ellis here, uh, and his wife's in the room. But then after they're done with him, they interview her. But it's kind of the same interview all over again because he's kind of confirming things with her. And so I don't want to make you guys listen to more interview than you need to. So what's really interesting here in this interview, the portion I'm going to play for you is about 22 minutes long. And like I said, the rest of them will not be nearly that long. But one thing that's incredibly frustrating about Jim's interview is... He was one of the first people on the scene that night. Remember when I interviewed Tim Summerlee and we went over his original reports? He said that he and Jim drove up to the scene together, that Jim was following along behind him. Literally there, right at the beginning, right at the very beginning, seconds, minutes at the most from when the offenders left the scene. After Becky's body was lit on fire and police never interview him. And you're going to hear him explain what he thinks about that. So, no more from me. Again, this is the longest one we're going to hear this episode. This is Jim Ellis, and this interview was conducted in 2015.
2: Why don't you uh, just go right into, if you can take us back, um, what was happening, what was going on with you, and how you were alerted to what you saw in the action that you took.
3: Okay. Um, well, actually, I have just gone to bed. And if you look right outside these windows right here, you can see the flames out by the, behind that water tank right there. Well, I was asleep, or just falling asleep, and Kendall came and woke me when she saw the flames. And she said, hey, Tim, there's a fire back there. And see, up here, we're pretty worried about fires. So I headed out the back gate, which there's the back gate there. And as I got to the back gate, Tim was approaching with Adicelli. And so we all met right there at the back gate. And this was a long time ago, so she remembers some of the stuff better than I do because, um, so I went there, I met Tim, we went to the house and it was on fire and Tim approached first and I held back because we were concerned about propane tanks going off in the flames. So Tim went up there to see if there was anybody that needed assistance. So he was yelling into the house and then as I was beginning my approach, he yelled back, hey, no, this is a crime scene. Don't, don't come, or something like that. And so I stayed with his wife. And then when the fire department, well, no, then I think what happened is I came home immediately to get Kendall. Isn't that right? Didn't I come home to get you? You did come back yes. So I came and I got Kendall. And I don't recall if we went right back there or if we went straight out to assist the fire department because they were coming in and it was dark. And I believe it was like around 10 something, 10 o'clock at night. And then I assisted the fire department coming in. And I think she was with me when we did that. Okay, we'll find out from her. Yeah, but that's that's the story. and then. You know, everyone else was there, and we just sort of hung out and watched what was going on. Okay.
2: So you say you are in bed. Um, had just gone to bed. Just I was just bed. dozing off. And your uh, your wife came and woke you up. Correct. Do you recall about what time that was when she woke you up?
3: I, I wasn't aware of the timing, actually, because I was going to the fire and whatnot. But she had just been on the phone, so there's phone records. She was on the phone when she noticed the fire. So we could find out what time that phone okay. call was and what time she noticed the fire, okay. like, exactly. Okay. Of course, well, I'm going to ask you the same question. question. <laughs> but that, that, that I know, she was on the phone with somebody when she saw the fire and came and got me.
0: Okay.
2: So you get up, and you said that you actually could see the fire from a certain vantage point. In the this right here. Okay, so you got out of bed. I'm assuming bed is the far, far end, yeah. It's going to be to the west, so you walked east through your house. Correct. And you looked out through the French doors, and you were able to see, describe what you saw. I might have
3: been a sliding door at that time, because I've changed those. Okay. But all I saw it was nighttime, and you could see the flames, and you could see the glow. And you couldn't actually tell if it was like in the Navy's yard right here. It appeared closer than it was. It was actually two streets away. and. I thought it might even be my back barn or the neighbors or something like that, but it happened. it was actually another whole street away.
2: Okay. And so, when you say you're just seeing the flames, are they are they roaring flames? Are they? I mean, I, I well, they were tall enough to
3: see from here, which they had to be tall enough to go over some obstructions here. And, and, and there, the obstructions house is, uh, You can see right yeah. here the house is coming out on the hill. Come on. In. You can see that green water tank right there, behind, far behind my house. I see do see the green water tank, yes. Okay, that's the next street, okay? Mm-hmm. Our property backs up to another street, and that's the gate that I went out of. There's a double chain link gate right there. Mm-hmm. Well, if you look behind that, you can see that there's a hill, mm-hmm. okay? And that house, that the street that that house is on is on a higher elevation than we are right here. So it was pretty clear that you could see the flames. And like I said, up here when we have fires, everybody responds. Big. Yeah, and so I, but it was clear that there was a fire there. I just didn't know how far away it was until I got out to the gate. And that's at the time Tim and Adeseli met me at the gate, and we all went together. Okay. You don't mind if I grab a quick picture with my phone? No, you okay, can on the deck. Oh, no, no. Uh, just, because you looked but at these, it. Um, these were sliding glass windows right. at the okay, time. yeah, let's, uh, no. So it probably would have been right to the right of that water tank and up on that hill, and if you drive to the property, that's right where it is, the way the eagle flies. Thank
2: you. Your wife's learned you. you walk through, the, through your house, you look through the sliding glass or whatever whatever, uh, whatever was there at the time, if, you're able to see uh, the fires you described. You i you take a picture of the panes and all that, because <laughs> <laughs> they didn't exist. That's true. Yeah. Um, so you see the fire. Um, you have to get dressed, and or are you just out the Sometimes door. You're on a pair of sweats. Okay. What do usually wear? Okay. Um, shoes, flip-flop, boots. Do you remember? You guys want my shoes? No, nah, <laughs> do not. of <laughs> shoes. I always wear Reeboks. Okay. okay. What size do you? Is your
3: uh, what size are they kind of? Like nine and a half. No. Ten, oh, 10 and a half UK ten, or something? Half, yeah. I can pull it off if you want.
2: That's okay, sir. 10 and a half.
3: See, I wasn't on the property far enough where my shoes should be there. And if you guys, what, am I a suspect or
2: something? Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No. We are just trying to get... Eliminate everything that you might have found. Well, See, I, I have, well, well I'm not going to say that. Well, well, here, here from, from our perspective, been reviewing the reports, have heard about Jim responding, have heard about Jim, meaning yourself. Um, possibly being at the at the fire, but we have no account of anybody actually taking your statement. No, no one ever has. So that is what this is about, right? So,
3: <laughs> no, and Tim informed me of that. I was yeah. going to meet with you and Tim. I thought we were going to have a
2: meeting, and, uh, and you
3: guys were going to make an
2: appointment or something. Yeah, the first time we were scared of the weather. Oh. It was a, a rainstorm three Mondays ago, or yeah. four yeah, Mondays well, there ago. There will be more snakes in two weeks. So. <laughs> <laughs> He doesn't do snakes. I'm going to push on from here. Well, snakes. Thank you, <laughs> Okay, so you, you, you suit up, and you head out your back toward the rear of your property, right. and rear is going toward the north, from what I can see. Is that just north direction? Is that north? Yeah. Um, and then you're by your back gate. And I believe you said that's where you encountered the summerlies. Yeah, I would have been unlocking
3: the back gate because we keep it locked,
2: and I went straight out the back gate that day. Okay. And when you went out straight out on foot in the vehicle, what was your motive? Of uh I was, I think I was driving.
3: No, yes, you were driving. Yes. Yeah.
2: Okay. You don't remember? Do you remember what you were driving at the time? Yeah, the
3: Toyota truck
2: right there, that green one. What year is it? 98. Still runs just as good, doesn't it? Yeah, it's got pretty low miles. So you uh, drive up with the summerlies. Are they with you or you? No, we were in separate because I was driving on own yeah. truck and we, we merged
3: right at the gate
2: and drove over there together. The okay. And you get up there and you park your vehicles where? On the street. Okay. So my, if, if Memory serves me correct. Alpine, mm-hmm. that's Alpine Street. So you park on Alpine. Yep. Okay. Um, do you remember which side of? or where where did you park in 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 reference to the property and the fire?
3: Probably right near the driveway on the street. <laughs> I mean, just somewhere around the
2: street. You know, I mean, I was paying more attention to the fire. Okay. So when you drove up, and I just I don't want to assume you go out your property, you make a, you turn or a right hand turn or left hand immediate left. Okay. Do you know the streets that that's that you're talking about when you do that, right? Well, left? what's the Summerleaf
3: Street? Um, San Carlo. San Carlo. Mm-hmm. So go And then another
4: street, and then it's then.
3: Is that correct? Turn right on San Carlo. You turn left on Cheap. Is this C H Ch- I-, Ch- I L? Chill. Left, and then another left on Alpine. That's right there on the corner.
2: Perfect. We can I can follow that. Okay. Yeah. So you you pull up on the Alpine. So I oh, believe you've been there. Yes. Absolutely. So are you, If in my mind, I'm seeing the property on fire, and I'm seeing you guys driving on Alpine. Are you going to stop in front of the fire? Are you going to stop directly, I guess, where the driveway pulls up, or did you drive past it? Kind of tell me where you... You know, it was
3: so many years ago, I don't remember exactly where we parked, but we we were the first ones there. And so we pulled up right in front of the place, probably right next to the driveway would be my assumption. I can't say for sure.
2: Okay, and just so I'm clear, when you say we... Yourself?
3: Well I went twice. I came back and got my wife. Okay. And then I think we went there and then we assisted the fire department coming in because it was dark and the streets weren't lit and they didn't you could see the flames, but you wouldn't know the route to get here.
2: Okay. So let's do the your first your first run up there, your yeah. first response. Who's there with you?
3: Well I went by myself in my truck alongside Tim and Araceli who were in their vehicle.
2: Okay, so it was the three of you then? Correct. You, Tim, and Otiselli. Yeah. Okay, and then that's when you told me that um, you had concerns about the propane?
3: Tim did. That's why he said, hang back, I'm going to check it out because, and I don't recall if at that time we heard ammunition going off or not, but there was one time during the night while the fire was there that we did hear
2: pops. Oh, that's a sound, ain't it? <laughs> okay. So you and Araceli stay back. Correct. Right. And based on what you're telling me, I'm, I'm picturing you guys still standing on the road on Alpine.
3: Right.
2: Okay. Um, while you're there and while uh, Tim is going up to investigate or approaching, um, did you say you could actually hear him calling out?
3: Oh, yeah. He said, he said don't come up here. This is a crime scene. Okay. I, I clearly remember him saying that. And the reason I held back in the beginning was because of the propane situation. The flames
2: were very close. I mean, I think you could see the propane tank from the street. Okay. Now from Maybe not, but Tim saw it as he approached, for sure. Okay. And from where you're standing, and, and now Tim has, has made his way up, are you able to actually, and I know you say it was dark, were you actually able to see Tim? I was
3: able to see the flames. Okay. I didn't see the wheelbarrow. I didn't see the seat. I didn't
2: see... But as far as Tim, were you able to see Tim?
3: I don't know if I, you know, I don't recall if I saw him all the way up to where he went or not. I mean, I don't know if it was around the corner. See, I don't remember seeing anything he, the wheelbarrow part. Okay. Okay. I was focused on the garage door and the house was aflames and, and at that time when he said, Hey, don't come up here, this is a crime scene. And then he came back, and then that's, I think that's when I came and got
2: you. Okay. Okay. So you're not able to see what Tim Summerlee's doing at all when he goes up to the, to the property. I don't recall
3: if I did or okay. not.
2: But well, you can hear him calling to you, don't, don't come up Absolutely. here, it's a crime scene. But when he's saying that, are you able to see him? I don't remember. Okay. Okay. No, no worries, no worries at all. And based on what you're telling me, you and Artis- I would
3: say the likelihood of it was whether there was any trees because it might. I think the driveway meanders a bit, yeah. And and I don't know if if he was obscured or not. I don't. I don't recall. I really was focused on the fire and then and then his warning.
2: Okay. So then he comes back down. Um, and let me back a little bit. You and Articelli are still on Alpine. At any time while you're waiting for Tim, did you actually? approach the I property? I began to
3: approach right when he yelled that.
2: Okay. And do you remember... Because I
3: think he was up close enough to where the propane tank would be. I, I don't know what caused me to start going. Uh, I felt safer or whatever. I don't know. But I didn't make it but a couple of steps when he said that.
2: Okay. So, so would, it, would it be safe to say then that you stayed on Alpine or do you think you actually traversed the, the dirt driveway there?
3: Going no, I don't that? think... I went up the driveway. If I went up towards the property, it wouldn't have been more than five feet, ten feet maybe. Okay. Articelli would maybe
2: remember. Okay. But you can, You If you looked over your shoulder, you'd see her.
3: Oh, yeah. I never really left. I was just beginning my approach when he started yelling. And it all happened pretty
2: quick. Okay. Now, at that point, and he's telling you not to come because it's a crime scene. That's what he It's him, Tim, coming down off the property at some point. You and Articelli standing on the street. Do you recall if anybody else shows up at that at that time?
3: Well, then neighbors started to show up. Okay. Okay. But I didn't hang out that long because I came immediately to get hurt.
2: Okay. So what you're telling me then is, is that you left and then neighbors began to... When to we got back, head. there was a number of people there Okay. Already. Isn't that what I heard? Yeah. But when you left, there weren't uh, a lot of neighbors correct? No. Okay. Is it safe to say that when you left, you left Tim and Araceli there? Absolutely. Okay. So then you drive back, probably the same way you. you yes. And you and you got your wife. Correct. And um, what did you tell her?
3: Well, I told her that Tim said there was a homicide. Okay.
2: And if you can put a kind of a time estimate, a few seconds, a few minutes on the time that you were there before you went to pick up your wife, how long would you say that you were there waiting, watching Tim, or not watching, but how long were you there while Tim went up to investigate and call out?
3: Well, all I can do is estimate how long it would take him to do what he did, and then I'm sure I left immediately to get her. Uh, And so, you know, it might have taken,
2: we might have been there three minutes or something. So you come back and you tell your wife, exactly. and then you the two of you then go back, return. Correct. Okay, and then that's how I
3: remember it. Okay. might remember it different.
2: Not a problem. Um, so you see a few, na- you see, you start to see other neighbors congregating.
3: Yeah, well, when there's a fire, everybody shows up. Well, I could and imagine nobody knew what was going on at the time. Um, you know, Tim's the one that informed me of what was going on, and I informed her, and so we went back there, and I don't know how long we stayed there she and I went back. But it wasn't
2: long before the flashing lights were coming, and that's when we decided to go assist the fire department coming in. Okay. Now, while you, when you went back and you were, and you were waiting for, for uh, paramedics to, uh, or I'm sorry, fire.
3: Well, we were just standing around like all the other neighbors, and I believe it's when we saw the lights coming that we decided. And how long that time period was... I don't know. You could probably check the fire department records and see how long it took them to be there, but that's how long it was.
0: Okay.
2: So
3: there is a there's a phone record of when she woke me up, and there's a phone record of when somebody called the fire department. Okay.
2: Sorry. And if you guys are willing to you know allow us help us with that, we, we may we may tap you know tap into that. You're more welcome. Thank you. Appreciate that. While you were there, when you got your wife and you went back, and there were other neighbors, and I know it's been a while, but if you can just maybe recite some of the names of the neighbors that you recall being there. If you you even know, if you know your neighbors.
3: (laughs) Actually, I know a few neighbors. I don't really know a lot of them. Okay. I mean, that's kind of how it is. Right, yeah. And, um, but of course, we've been here 20 years. More people know of me than know me. You know, I don't associate with too many people on the mountain. And... uh, Well, I know, I know Steve Russell was there. And he's a big mouse, so he was all interviewed and, you know, talking to the news and all those guys. So that's why I remember Steve Russell was there. And there was a woman that used to live on the mountain, the one with the red hair that used to walk out here. Jackie. Jackie. And I think... She lived up the street. I don't remember if she, I think she showed up. Yeah. Okay. And I'm gonna ask you the same
0: question. So if you fall yeah, short. she Yeah, she, <laughs> she
3: lived maybe a few acres up the road with not any houses in between, I don't think. She was running from the Farley, so wherever that. Anyway, yeah, her residence was like the next one up. If you guys go up on Alpine, you turn right and you'll see a modular on the left hand side. Okay. Any other neighbors that you recall Um uh, I mean I'd hate to say a name and have them not
2: having had been. Oh, no no. There. Just what you recall just what you recall. If you don't recall. Well I remember those
3: two. But then again we left, you know?
2: Yeah. Okay.
3: And your reason for leaving But or? I remember that there was there was probably at least what, twenty neighbors or something by the time. I mean it it filled up pretty
2: quick. And if you recall, and, and I'm seeing in my mind you guys all standing along Alpine and you know, waiting for assistance, um, do you see anybody else actually approach the property? No,
3: not go up on the property. By the time we came back with the fire department, you're talking about when we came back with the fire department? When you came back with your wife uh-huh. and you
2: saw all saw. I all didn't the, see
3: anybody else going up towards the property. Because I remember that I, that might be the time when I heard ammunition? ammunition going off, and people were staying back. I mean, it was, it, it was fully engulfed by then, and it wasn't anything you wanted to approach.
2: Okay, so nobody was running grabbing so water hoses and trying to put the I fire out? Recall,
3: I don't recall any of that. Okay. Because really, I wasn't there very long when I went to get the fire department, and by the time the fire department came back, they were trying to find the other thing is they were trying to find hydrants and stuff, you know. And yeah. I think there is one up by there somewhere, but
2: Okay. All right. So nobody else in the neighborhood that you recall tried to do anything no, extraneous. I remember, to that. I remember
3: Steve Russell because we call him Cookie Man, and I remember that that woman, Jackie, with the burros.
2: Okay. Um Do you have anything else right now, Do you have anything? No. Okay. So, um, you and your wife then leave after, after you see the uh, emergency uh, fire show up and everything.
3: I think we we hung out as it burned down. After we came back the final time,
2: after assisting the fire departments coming in. Okay. Then then everybody hung out until it was done. Did anybody while you were there talk about maybe? Seeing anything unusual, hearing anything unusual? Um, Nobody talked to me about anything.
3: Everybody was out there just looking doing, you know?
2: All right. You guys came back home, and and, uh, and then how did you find out about what actually really happened? Well, we're traveling pretty fast up here. I'm not going
3: to try and offend you guys, but I, I thought the investigation was a joke.
2: No offense taken.
3: And I'll tell you why. I have a few reasons why I felt that way. I didn't know what their investigation entailed and all of that. But what I under—I know is they released that crime scene within a couple of days or whatever. And and then people did go on the property. Um, they left the wheelbarrow on the property. They removed the handle. But they left the wheelbarrow, which I felt was kind of odd, because I would like to have a whole evidence if it were me. And what else did I? Oh, and then within like two weeks after that, they came back with the crime scene trailers and the 100 guys and all this stuff. And then I don't know if they were taking a second look at what they had previously looked at. But this time they had the Riverside County Sheriff trailer and they had, you know, a bunch of uh, like explorer guys, and and so somebody I don't remember who it was said that it was a training exercise now using the crime scene for a <laughs> training exercise. But I thought it was kind of odd that it was released within a couple of days and then and then seemingly shut off again, you know, cordoned them off.
2: Yeah, that is interesting. And then, and then
3: like I mean a lot of um, vehicles and stuff coming and going for a couple of days I remember
2: yeah oh, interesting
3: anyway but that's not why I thought it was I thought it was I know that uh, even that night Tim had probably spoken with somebody or, or thereafter and, and I know he dropped the dime on me being there so I was kind of taken aback that nobody contacted me I was actually waiting back then for somebody to contact me and it never happened and I'm willing to talk to you
0: In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: The detectives in Jim Ells's interview didn't ask some really specific questions that I wish they would have. They didn't ask him if he saw any vehicles leaving. And they didn't ask him if Tim Summerlee told him about the wheelbarrow. He just says that Tim explained to him what was going on. Tim said it's a crime scene, but we didn't get those specific questions. And keep in mind what they're doing here in 2015 is they're prepping for trial here. This is after Robert and Christian were arrested the first time. So they don't ask those questions. And I don't know if that was if that was accidental or if it was intentional, but I wanted to hear him say whether or not he saw any vehicles in the area. I know that I've personally talked to Tim Summerlee and he said, no, there definitely was no cars. They were looking out the window. It's pitch black. They can see the flames around 945, no headlights anywhere when they drove up to the crime scene. But they didn't ask that question of Jim Ellis. All we know is that he says that Tim Summerlee told him that it's a crime scene. Tim filled him in on what was going on and that... As he put it, word got around pretty quick about what actually happened there up at the crime scene. Now, for this next interview, it's much it's only nine minutes long. This is Randy Paulson. So where Randy lives, and by the way, I have a map, a, a couple of photos showing the locations of where these houses were at on the website, on, on a map. But so you could draw a straight line. So you have Jim Ellis's house, and if we move towards the crime scene... Next, you have Tim Summerlee's house. And if you continue along that straight line, next, you have Randy Paulson's house. So They're all kind of right there in that line. Randy is actually the closest one of the three. He was also up there that night. He was the only one that you're going to hear from today that was actually interviewed in 2006. He was interviewed on September 21st, 2006. And that is this interview right here.
4: I'm talking with De- Deputy Paulson in the office at uh, 1550 on the 21st of uh, September. You don't need to rep, um,
5: We went to the river that day with the county at uh, Laughlin, so I came back that day. Saturday or Sunday? Yeah, we came back Sunday, I don't know what time it was, late afternoon. So I was kind of tired. Went to bed about, I guess, 9, thirty nine. And uh, I guess it was about almost 10. My dogs were like barking. Where do you live in relationship to
4: where this house is at? Uh,
5: one street south and almost parallel perpendicular.
4: Okay, so almost even with Yeah. Them?
5: And so I heard my dogs barking and usually I'll get up and kind of see what they're barking at but I knew if I got up I wouldn't be, wouldn't be able to go back to sleep so I, right. said, I forget it, right? And uh, within I guess 10 or 15 minutes someone was knocking on the door and it was my neighbor, Araceli Summerlee. And she's like telling me, you know, I didn't answer the door, but my wife came and told me that. uh uh-huh. the, the house is crazy over there or something. So I look out the window and I see it like, you turn the radio down. It's like in flames, right? So uh, I, I get dressed and I went over there with my wife. And I uh, met part of Sally's husband, Tim Summer.
3: Right.
5: And I don't know if you talked to him, but yeah. he was there, like... I guess he was one of the first ones there. Right. And, you know, he's my friend, he was telling me, Hey, I, I went, I saw it was on fire, I looked around, and in the back, I saw a wheelbarrow that what looked to me, is what he was saying, like a body. Kind of like in this... Form like it was like it wasn't burned, he said, yeah. And I got out of him that it was, I guessed, about 50 feet from the house. So right away, I'm thinking, well, that body didn't burn in the house and get there, or for whatever reason, that's well, I, suspicious. I agree. So, uh, by that time, the fire trucks were there, and I don't, and shortly after that, some dead came just came and came and uh, that's pretty much it and i just told them they you know they're going to want to talk to you right right and uh, it's going to be a crime scene and, and we kind of went up the driveway by one of the fire trucks mm-hmm. probably 40 feet uh, east of the garage where the basketball hoop is that's as close as i got and that's and
4: the fire was still burning at that time yeah wow
5: and then when, the, I guess, some rounds started going off, so we went back out on the street to speak to after
4: that. And uh, pretty much it. Yeah. Okay. What have you heard since, I mean, do you, do you have any pearls of wisdom for us? That well. Things, things that people are talking, I mean, we, we've heard all the theories. You know, people yeah. think, well, it must be this because of this. You
5: know, I have no idea. Man. Do you
4: know people, those folks at all?
5: I only talked to her once on the phone about some rocks in the road a few years ago and I know that she's Ron's ex. And I, I didn't know if they were married or not, but I guess they're not. And I knew they had at least one daughter. and Because I would see her driving up and down the road.
4: What was she driving normally?
5: You know, I never really noticed, but they tell me she drives a Mustang. Okay. So that's, and I think like, I've seen her in it before. A little blonde girl. Um, I never talked to him before, and I think I saw her, the little girl, with my wife, at Starbucks one time. I guess she worked at one of his stores. and I don't even really remember that. I can't even tell you what she Your was wife about. just told you that? Yeah, she goes, remember we talked to her.
4: Okay. And you went, okay. Sure. So yeah. I don't
5: even remember, you
4: know. And,
5: right, uh, okay. Other than that, you know, even though they were right there, they were just like neighbors and we never really talked to them.
4: Anything going on up there? Weird stuff? No.
5: I mean, I just, you know, I, I'm the road
4: guy. I the road. Okay. And you're in charge of the roads? Yeah, sort of. Okay. Unofficially or officially? Well, it's it's unofficial. It's, it's just something I
5: started where I asked a hundred bucks a year from each person mm-hmm. and uh, use that money to make the roads. Have a quarter grade that I was doing it. Cool, but they didn't give any money and, and And they drove on the roads. You know, I noticed he kind of drove a little fast. That's a lot of people drive fast. Sure. I don't say nothing to anybody. If that's the way they want to drive. That's it. Um, they didn't seem out of the ordinary.
4: What about kind of quiet. What about the neighbors around them. Is there? Any, if you if I told you there was somebody in your neighborhood that did it. Just for example, hypothetically I'm not saying someone did. Mm-hmm. Would you have a we well, better go check that guy out? I mean, is there I know there's some different folks up there.
5: I couldn't think of anybody that would do that. Right. I know that uh, there's a guy with, uh, It's Robert Ross. And he's kind of one of the, the low left guys, but I don't think he
4: Right. And well, and since you didn't know them, you wouldn't have any idea if they had enemies or anything like that. No idea. Alright. So, I mean, in, in your wife obviously has friends up there, too. I mean, does she, does she work or is she up there?
5: My wife works.
4: Okay. And she was,
5: I think she was in
4: middle. How old are your kids? Fifteen and ten. And the fifteen-year-old supporter. And is he? Come up with anything? Talking to the, his friends up there. I mean, does anybody have an idea as to what's going on or suspicions? Not that
5: I know. We
4: ran into a kid. Let me ask you this. They ran into a kid. I did. not I was up there, right then, uh, from the neighborhood. Supposed to be a neighbor from somewhere that had a black eye, and he told the guy who talked to him that it was from surgery. Like you know, uh, when you have yeah. you know, lots of surgery, and they get.
5: Yes. You know that uh, is. That's
4: Steve Russell. And he he has had surgery. He lives right down the street on the other The reason I'm asking is because th- that's all they got from him and then he went home and no one found out his name or where he was, so Yeah, his name is Steve Russell.
5: Okay, so he was across the street and down and he was laid up from work because of some eye
4: and he not a kid, they described him no, like a teenager. Oh okay, so he's a man. Oh, yeah, was they were saying <laughs> kid, so i I pictured like a teenager type. Yeah, of guy. and that's the only
5: guy. He has like a little giant here. Oh, okay. But uh, he was off work like four months for the first part of that procedure.
4: But he get something in his eye or something?
5: He has a problem with his eye. Oh. It's like they had to. He said he took the whole he took the whole eyeball out or something. Wow. Cool. Yeah. Okay. But uh, you know his glasses are really thick, so But uh, yeah, that that would be him. That would be the case.
4: Okay. So we know at least who he is. We can go talk to him if we haven't already.
5: But somebody that might know them on a friendly basis more than other people is... His name is Steve something, and he's
4: a professional clown. I don't know if you... Harpo the Clown? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No one knows his last name. They all know him as Harpo the Clown.
5: But I guess... I never remember
4: st- that. It's on a big billboard on the tin. Yeah, I've right. seen it. Right.
5: By his book. And uh, somebody at the scene was saying that he knew them uh, and they called him. Where's
4: these people at?
5: Like if knew. Right. They, one of the ladies up there to the, for the right, right, I think she called. Okay. The realtor lead, The log house. Company. Right. Right.
4: Sharon. Sharon. Call
5: cool. me. Okay. Because she's right in the store.
4: Right. So otherwise you didn't have any other dealings with them or didn't know of anybody having problems with them or
5: just oh, I mean, over I never or anything. Heard anything? Parties, that kind
4: clock. of stuff. They ever have people over? Not
5: that I saw Okay.
4: Very good. We're just checking to see if maybe you went, oh yeah, you know. Every Thursday something happens, you know, I don't know. Right, and I wanted to talk to you that day, and when I saw you there, when I pulled up, I was like, oh cool, there's Randy, and then I looked over and went, oh, I obviously had other things to do at that point. That was the song that I'd Okay, well that's it, I'll stop the tape.
1: With Randy, you can tell that this interview was done much earlier. It was right after the crime. This is this is four days after the murders occurred, three and a half days after the murders occurred. The police don't have any idea who they're after at this point, and they're legitimately trying to gather information. And you can see kind of the contrast between that and the DA investigator interviewing Jim Ellis nine years later. Here are some specific questions are asked, and we learn from Randy that no, he didn't see any cars. And also that Tim Summerlee told him about the body in the wheelbarrow. That is going to be critically important when we get into our next week's episode. But it's important for you to understand right now that as neighbors were gathered around, as, as Jim Ellis pointed out, there was like 20 people up there. Jackie Grosjean was there. Steve Russell was there. Sharon Coleman eventually ends up over there. All these neighbors are all gathered around there. And the way it sounds, at least according to Randy here, is they all knew everybody that was hanging around that crime scene knew that there was a body in a wheelbarrow. This last interview involves a name that most of you probably haven't heard before. And this is one of the most ridiculous frustrating parts of this case. Barbara Wright lived just 300 yards away from the Friedley house. You'll see where she lived on the map on the website. But if you can imagine, if you've looked at the maps already and you're looking and you see Alpine Drive going east to west along the north end of the map, if you just go about 200 yards to the east, St. Bernard Drive then cuts down to the south. She was right there on that corner. The two houses on that corner are Harpo the Clown's house, who was never interviewed, as far as I can find. And then right next to him is Barbara Wright. Barbara was one of the people that called 911 that night. We have an exact timestamp. She called 911 at 9.51 p.m. And she's going to explain all of these details in the interview that you're about to hear. The police never contacted her. Think about that. She is one of the first people to see the fire. She she lives on the corner of Alpine and St. Bernard, 300 yards from the crime scene the escape route of the offenders would have had to have gone down alpine road she lives right there on alpine road she's awake she's watching she sees the flames and they never contacted her in this interview she's finally contacted in 2015 once they're preparing for trial
6: Hello. Hello, this is Investigator Tom Wish with the Riverside District Attorney's Office. How are you? Fine. Fine. I'm looking for Mr. B.J. Wright, if this is the correct number. Who, who's calling me, I, to... I'm an investigator with the Riverside District Attorney's Office. And what do you want? Well, this is concerning the incident that happened back in 2006, September seventeenth. Uh, there was the fire up there of the house. Of the free case. Yes, there you go. And apparently Mr. Wright had called 911 for, uh, the, cal- for the CDF to come out to respond to the fire. And I, I'm one of the uh, new investigators here at the DA's office going through the case file, and we're getting ready to go to court, but I didn't see if there was any interview done with Mr. Wright. So that's why I just want to clarify that. Have <laughs> Mr. Wright
7: is, did not live here then or now. Okay. I'm the one who made the 911 call.
6: You're the one that made the okay. call? Yes. Oh, okay. And your name, ma'am? Barbara Bart and Okay, Barbara. And your last name, ma'am. Wright. Okay. And is Mr. Are you guys married, divorced, or is there is there a? Oh, you. Are,
7: you called are, you are the
6: right. Okay, you are Barbara. I am the person who called. Pardon me. I said
7: I am the person who called, okay. and at that time we were divorced. He didn't live here.
6: Okay. That's what I need to know. And your birth date, ma'am. You do that over the phone? i Over the phone? Okay, no worries. Are you still living up there? Yeah. On a Bernard Drive? Oh. Yes. Well, I'll talk to you real quick. Um, then I can also come up and do an in-person interview with you, or you can call me back at my office number because I am an investigator with the DA's office, and our case is getting ready to go to preliminary hearings, So we just want to talk to everybody that might have seen anything that night. Okay. Okay. And so, you okay talking on the phone for a little bit? Sure. Okay. That night, then, can you tell me what you saw and about what time it was? Um, If you recall.
7: I think it was around 9 o'clock, and I had just, I was coming up from visiting my sister um, all day. Okay. And I smelled what smelled like burning rubber, and um, I thought maybe it was my tires. I looked, and then when I looked on the, uh, it wasn't that, and when I looked on the porch, I could see the flames, so I called 911. Okay. And I went ahead and drove over there thinking maybe i because it's closer than sure. just walking there. Sure. And, um, I think I, it was, I think it was Tim, and I asked if anyone was inside. Okay. He said, um, he didn't know because he went around to the, um, the property right. and saw someone in the wheelbarrow. Okay that was except, and,
6: how, and was that Tim Summerley you're talking about?
7: That might be his name. I don't know his name. And told me that there was a, a victim in the right. And at that point, I um, went down to, I was directed by one of the other neighbors who um, to go down to um, Palm Canyon to wait for the fire trucks to come so that they could
6: uh, come in. But they came in and mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, let me back up just a little bit. There. you said you smelled rubber. Were you driving home when you smelled that, or yeah. walking, or what? How, how, how? I
7: didn't smell. I didn't smell rubber until I got out of my
6: vehicle, okay. and it smelled
7: like tire to me.
6: Okay. Now I'm looking at a map here because I know all these streets have different names there. But were you coming up uh, your street, Saint Bernard, or were you on Alpine Drive? Which way were you coming into your house?
7: I don't know for sure, but the only way I normally come, or the way
6: I come normally because it's a better road, is Alpine. Okay, so you come up Alpine. And when you come up, would you have passed the house that was on fire, or did you come in the other, from the other side?
7: No, I would have come up Garibola to Alpine.
6: Okay, let me look here. All right, so then you're coming from east to west, basically. Yes. Okay, so you're coming down the street at night, and obviously there's no lights out there. Did, when you were driving, did you notice any, anything on fire at that time? No. Okay, then you turn to the left. It looks like, if I'm looking at this map, right, to get to your house. Correct. Okay, and then we, go ahead and explain what happened. And you, did you park in the garage? Did you park outside? I parked. No, I, I only I parked um, outside. Okay, and in when, in the, garage that in the front or in the back, man, i I'm sorry. In the front of the garage. In front of your garage. So when you got out, that's when you smelled this rubber smell. It was like a burnt rubber. Yes. Okay. And you don't see anything burning on your car, and then you said you went to the front porch of your house?
7: Well, I went upstairs and took a look to see if I could see um, what, you know, it wasn't coming from my vehicle, so where was it coming from, and that's when I noticed um, some smoke and fire.
6: Okay. So is your house a two-story house? Yes. Okay, so you went upstairs, and then I guess the windows that we're talking about, they face westbound?
7: Actually, I only am as far as my deck, which is
6: off the ground some. Okay, so you're on your front deck. Okay. And when you see something deep, what do you actually see burning? Can you describe the fire that you saw?
7: You know, all I could see were um, just little um, things of flame. Okay. And obviously the smoke. I could see and smell okay. at that point.
6: Yeah.
7: Um, and... So I just reacted and called 911.
6: Now, the house that's on fire, did you know the people that lived in that house?
7: I knew who they were. I knew them just a little bit. Okay. They okay. weren't sociable or, or anything like that.
6: Had you ever been over to the house?
7: Um, no.
6: Okay. Did you know was it was a one- or two-story house?
7: It was a two-story.
6: Okay. Now, when you say you saw flames, where did you see the flames coming from?
7: I'm sorry. I... I I would say it was probably,
6: I don't really know. Okay, no, that's okay. So you, but you did see, it looked like flames and smoke. That, yeah. that was distinctive. Okay, but you're not sure if it was uh, on the second floor of the house, the first floor, or anything like that? No, I'm not. Okay. And did you call 911 then, or did you go to the house first? Nope, I called 911 before I went. Okay, so you called 911, tell them about a fire, and then you said you drove down to the house, and did you park on Alpine by the driveway down there, by that house?
7: Um, I didn't park in front of it. I parked a little bit away from it because okay. I um, have to worry
6: about the fire and my sure. truck. Sure. Did you drive up into the driveway or did you stay on Alpine? I stayed on Alpine. Okay. And you said when you got out that Tim was there? Yes. Okay. And was he, was he coming down from the house? Was he going up to the, the house via the driveway? Or why don't you describe that to me?
7: Um, okay. I was parked... Before you get to the house. Okay. Walked a little ways, um, and Tim was outside on the road. On Alpine? Yes. Okay. And I asked him if anyone was inside, okay. you know, and if they, we needed, if they needed help.
6: Okay. And what did Tim tell you?
7: He said that um, he had started. He didn't know if anyone was inside, mm-hmm. but as far as um, going around part of the property and saw... Um, a person in a wheelbarrow, and then he backed out. Okay,
6: oh. you know that was that was extent. Do you know if Tim drove up there? Or did he walk up, up to the house? I don't know. You don't know? Okay. So after you meet Tim, then on Alpine is it sounds like right by the driveway of the house? Out there. Okay, and then you said you went. Where did you go now to direct the fire trucks in?
7: Um, one of the other neighbors um, said they needed someone. Um, down by Palm Canyon in case the fire truck came in that way. Okay. That way we could just um, direct them to the house because we don't always know who's on right. and what's our area.
6: Right. So do you go so, down to Palm Canyon? Yes. Okay. Now, been, go ahead, man. That's fine. Okay, I'm going to back you up a little bit. When you come up to your house, you get out, you go up to the front porch, you notice the fire. Do you hear or see any cars driving away from the location? No. No. Okay. Did anybody running from the area or anything like that? No. Okay. Okay. And did you ever go up to the house at that night? Or no. Did you, you did not go down there. Okay. Did you see anybody else besides Tim there when he was explaining to you what he saw? Was there anybody else from the uh, the area there?
7: Um. Other people came. I don't know what time, and I don't know if they were. I think he was the first person on site that I saw. Okay. And then.
6: Um, and then people showed up. Okay. So I'm just going to get a little summary here. You, you're driving your car. You're coming from east to west. You turn into your uh, down your street, park at your house. You smell the, uh, like a rubber-type burning smell. You look at your car. There's nothing burning there. So you walk up to the front uh, step-up porch of your uh, residence, and you look down. And that's when you notice fire and smoke, but you can't really tell. if uh, You know something's burning. Did you know the house was burning at the time? No. No, you didn't know what was burning. So you called 911, then got in your car and drove down Alpine to the driveway, and when you got out, that's when you saw Tim coming down, and he told you that he went up to the house, he would walked around the house, and he saw a, uh, a body in a wheelbarrow. Yes. Okay. And then they, they directed you to go down to?
7: Back up some.
6: As far as what was burning,
7: I figured it was a home.
6: Okay, you figured it was a home. Okay, no worries.
7: Well, I don't know what gave me that. That thought, but I assumed that it was a home. Okay. okay. So I don't know if that was when I called nine one one before. Okay.
6: okay. No worries. Now, did Tim tell you um, the person that was in the wheelchair? Did he was it a female or male? Did he say anything about that? No, just the person. Okay. And you said you weren't very social with the, or they weren't very social with you guys up there. Did you know Rebecca, the the, the teenager? They called her Becky.
7: Yeah, I know who she was, I who but was. Since I worked. Um, you know, eight hours a day I wasn't home that much.
6: Okay. So. Okay. And would you have known any of her friends that came up there prior to this incident, you know, weeks leading up to any of her friends, that she have any parties or things like that? No, I wouldn't. Okay. And did they ever come over to your house for any get-togethers? No. Okay. Well, ma'am, that's pretty much all I got. I'll tell you what's going on. Um, we I don't know if you've been watching the news on it, but there's been some arrests made on this case again. Yes. And we're going to be going to court actually next week, so that's why we're doing court, court prep. And I noticed that the call came from your house, and nobody it looks like nobody ever spoke to you. No, nobody ever yes, did. Okay. Well, that's why I'm giving you a call, okay? Okay. And I'm going to give you my number if you have any questions. You can give me a call back.
7: Oh, wait a second.
6: Okay.
1: There are two things that are critical that you've learned today, and both you heard directly from Barbara, as well as from Jim and as well as from Randy, but particularly here from Barbara. Let's jump way back to the drive time test that was done by Bodmer, where he was able to get from the crime scene to the reach of Tower 88 in 38 minutes which is moving very fast. It took him like 10 attempts, by the way, to get that. As I've told you before, it took me 52 minutes. Uh, Listener Andrew Nielsen was able to do it in, I think, 35 or 36 minutes. Bodmer did it in 38, took Dr. Shiloh 44, but he was barely able to hit that window. And in order for that window to matter, we have to go to the extreme far end that Dr. Pope gave us when she was the forensic anthropologist who said that it appeared to her, based on her studies and experiments, that Becky's body had burned for about 20 minutes. Then she concedes, well, it could have been up to 30 minutes. So if we take that far end of that, 30 minutes, that puts Becky's body being ignited at 9.46 p.m. That is the very earliest Becky's body could have been ignited. So first, let's think about that drive test. That means they ignited her at nine forty six. Immediately, got in a car and drove away. The killers had to have left the scene in a car at that moment in order to make it down for the ten twenty three voicemail check by Robert that hit Tower eighty eight. That call, that ping on that tower, completely alibis Robert and Christian unless. They left at exactly that moment in a vehicle. I've said for weeks now, there is no evidence anyone left in a vehicle. And from what you heard today, you're hearing, listen to what people are saying. They're looking. They're looking out their windows. It's dark. They can see the flames. And Barbara Wright was right there, and she did not see a vehicle leaving. So you can still imagine that there was a vehicle there. You can can hope and wish and pray that there was a vehicle there. But the fact is, there is zero evidence that anyone left that crime scene in a vehicle. And if no one left that crime scene in a vehicle, Robert and Christian are innocent, no questions asked. You cannot be at two places at once. First of all, there already was enough time because the real number isn't 30 minutes that Becky's body had been burning, the real number is 20 minutes. But if we give it 30 minutes, and if we take a reasonable amount of time that that takes, driving as fast as you can, which is what I would say Dr. Shiloh did, it's a 44-minute drive to get there, not 38. But even if you take the best-case scenario for the state, you take the 38-minute drive test, and you take the far reach, the 30 minutes of when the fire was ignited, they still had to have left in a vehicle, and no one saw one. And as far as the timing goes with Barbara Wright, she called 911 at 9.51 p.m. Now, according to Elaine Pope's initial testimony that Becky's body burned for 20 minutes, that means that Becky's body was ignited at 9.56. So there's a range there, somewhere between 9:46 and 9:56 is when Becky's body was ignited which means that window 9:46 to 9:56 is the time when the killers left the scene Barbara Wright called 911 excuse me the call was connected to 911 at 9:51 9. p.m. Wright smack dab in the middle of that window that's when she connected to 911. Before she connected to 911, she had to get her phone, dial the number, let it ring. Before that, she had pulled into her driveway. You can I'm not even going to give you a number. You can try and backtrack this, but think about what she said. She pulled into the driveway, smelled smoke. Went in the house, goes out onto her porch. Then she sees the fire. Then she gets the phone. Then she calls 911, and at 951, she connected. So she was looking at Alpine Road. Well, let me back up even further. She was driving down Alpine Road from the east, meaning the house, the Friedley house, is in front of her the entire time she's on Alpine Road. She drives from one, she says she takes Jeroboa to Alpine and heads west. So she's facing the crime scene while driving down Alpine Road, no cars, pulls into her driveway. She's outside. It's not even like she's inside looking through a window. She's standing outside on her porch looking at the crime scene, which is looking down Alpine Road, no cars. She was doing all this when the state says Robert and Christian were leaving the crime scene in a car. She was there watching, looking at the house because she saw the fire in the house, not the fire, not Becky being on fire. So there are people who have said, I just don't see anything. This is too complicated. I don't see anything that makes Robert and Christian look innocent. And this may not convince you, but it's a lot. It's a lot. Barbara Wright driving down Alpine Road at the exact moment when the killers were there lighting Becky on fire and leaving and doesn't see another vehicle, doesn't see any vehicle, that should matter if you're being objective. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Edited by Kelly Barron's Brink and sound engineered by Shane Yoder. All music for the show was created, composed, and scored by PutThemInASong.com, who also mixed and mastered this episode. All of our fonts across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design, and you can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Kay wood Ginger Fiola, Erica Cantor, Danielle Rohr, Jennifer Ford, Courtney Wimberly, and Melissa Cardenas. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in several ways. To financially support the show, the best thing you can do is just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You'll not only be supporting the show, but you'll get something in return. On Patreon, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind the scenes bonus video content every week. Then other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also do us a huge favor by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the brands that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page on Facebook. And for all you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. And I can be found personally on all forms of social media at BobRuff Truth. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However, you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice. We'll